Welcome to the program. This is The Exam Room, and I'm Dr. Neil Barnard. You have heard this scenario. The patient is in the hospital recovering from a heart attack, and when they wake up in the morning, their breakfast tray has sausage and bacon and eggs and high-fat, high-cholesterol foods, the very things that caused their heart attack in the first place. And hospitalizations really need to be used as a teachable moment so that we help patients to get on a better path. And yet they are really fumbling that ball, I have to say. Hospitals have not taken it very seriously. We know they can because they've already made lots of changes. They got rid of the cigarette machines a generation ago. They can clean up the kitchen right now. So in today's program, you're going to hear about why we need to improve hospital foods. Uh, You'll hear about the Physicians Committee's efforts to eliminate fast foods and junk food from hospitals, how to clean up the patient uh, menus. And we have a hospital food report, which will actually name some names. You're going to hear about facilities that are really doing a good job and what they're doing to stay at the top of the list. And you're going to hear about some other places, may I say, need a little bit of help. Uh, So let's get started. Here is weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you, Dr. Barnard. This is The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. The weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, here with you. Today's show, hazardous hospital food. In a little while, we're going to be talking about the fast food options that are actually sold in hospitals. You think about that for a second. Ponder it. You go to a hospital to get well, you're sick, patients there. Maybe it's the worst day of their life, but what got them there? A lot of them, you could say, you could attribute it to a poor diet. So why in the world, then... Would fast food be available at the hospital? Counterintuitive. But it's not just the restaurants in the lobby that are the problems. There's also a big problem with the food that is being served to patients on the actual patient menu. And this isn't limited to just adult hospitals. This trickles down to children's hospitals as well. And that's why we have the Hazardous Hot Dogs campaign. And to help us talk about that and the initiatives that we're having here at the Physicians Committee, we welcome registered dietitian and my personal friend, Susan Levin, to the show. Hello, Susan. Hey, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing very well. Good morning to you as we tape this in the morning. I don't know when people are listening to this, probably on their commute. So maybe good morning to you as well. Um, But let's start with the broad strokes. What is this campaign, the Hazardous Hot Dogs? Well, it's an awareness campaign um, with the eventual end of making change in children's hospitals, especially places where they serve maybe not so healthful foods, but specifically hot dogs. There's a couple of reasons why we we don't want to see hot dogs promoted on kids' menus. Uh, One reason is is that it's the number one choking hazard for children. Is it really? I know. Who knew? But yeah. So why would you have that on the menu? Although I guess arguably if you're going to choke, it would be a good place to do it in the hospital, but what, mm-hmm. a, what a ridiculous concept. Um, secondly, it's a processed meat product. And if anyone has listened to this show or knows Physicians Committee well, we know that processed meat products are carcinogenic. They cause cancer. They increase your risk for heart disease, diabetes. So this is not a food we want to be promoting in a hospital. Yeah, it, Again, it, just like the fast food in the lobby, it, it just seems counterintuitive there. Um, and I know that we have been, as an organization, kind of putting pressure on these hospitals to kind of eliminate that. So let's start with the positives and talk about some of the hospitals that have been receptive to that message. Yeah. 
Yeah, so definitely there have been um, a handful of children's hospitals specifically uh, that have actually listened not only to us and our campaign, but but to the members who heard about this campaign and tweeted the CEO, written letters to the CEO, Mm -hmm. emailed saying – take these off of the patient menus for children. Uh, This is not a safe food. It's not a healthy food. It shouldn't be offered. Um, And it's worked. It's worked in a couple of hospitals, children's hospitals, one um, in Indianapolis and one in Kentucky. So these are really positive trends to see that hospitals will actually listen, listen to their community members. But there are still plenty that are still serving the the old lots. ballpark franks. Yeah, there are lots, unfortunately, and somewhat disturbingly, as a native of Alabama, um, they seem to trend in the southern United States. Uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham, where I'm from, um, still serves hot dogs at the ch- on the children's menus. But Mississippi, um, just uh, you know, Kentucky, all across the South, we see this trend, and that's unfortunate because that's also where there are higher rates of diseases right. like colorectal cancer diabetes and heart disease. I know in looking at a map um, of the fast food campaign, you could really see a, a just a huge grouping of fast food restaurants. And I guess it's called the obesity belt down there. Diabetes it, belt, heart attack belt, obesity belt. It, it's right. all in the southeast, right. basically from Texas over into Florida and a little bit up the east coast. And it's all grouped there. But then you go west, there's very few. You go into the northeast, there's only a handful. But all of them are just centered right down there. Right. It just it, go, it, it goes to show you it's a good visual of mm-hmm. the um, a cycle feeding upon itself. Mm-hmm. You already have these high rates, higher rates of disease that are diet related, and it's just being um, um, exacerbated by what's being offered. Uh, and it's not just offered in the communities, but literally in the place of healing, like a hospital. Let me ask you this, kind of from a personal standpoint. You're you're a mother. And so when we're talking about children's hospitals and you hear about this type of food being served, whether it's a hospital or or just any sort of unhealthy practice going on there, I mean, that's got to be kind of gut-wrenching for you, right? It is. And I I, I actually equate it to how I feel about when schools offer um, unhealthful foods to children as well. It's to me, it's, um, it's, it's, they're, they're captive, uh, little people who uh, don't have a lot of uh, context for making healthful choices Mm -hmm. the way adults have more of an opportunity to know the facts and then make a choice. Children don't really have, um, they may not know the facts and they may not even have a choice for that matter in a hospital or in a school. So it really does break my heart because these are very, a very vulnerable population, obviously. And and their families are also in a very vulnerable position in the hospital. So you see something like hot dogs being served on a um, hospital patient menu. Right. Unfortunately, and there's research to back this up, the context that is taken home with that family is, well, this food must be not only okay, something beneficial about it. And we've seen this with research with hos- uh, fast food outlets. As mm-hmm. you your previous show about fast food outlets and hospitals, parents go home with the perception that this must be okay because it's being served in the hospital. That's a fast food outlet. Imagine if it's actually on the patient menu. They go home thinking, what did the hospital give my kid? Hot dogs. Okay, so let's have hot dogs. I mean, it just perpetuates the problem. And unfortunately, the, the unawareness that processed meat products, 
like hot dogs, like deli meats, like sausage, like bacon, are so closely linked to cancer that they are considered unsafe in any amount. That is a carcinogen. That is a cancer-causing food, not an association. It causes cancer. And this is being served to children in hospitals with, again, the perception that it might actually be helpful. Well, you talk about these cancers. Uh, Some of these cancers are are ones that you would really only associate in your mind with adults, but we're seeing it start to creep up among young people, too. That's right. So colorectal cancer is considered an adult disease because it does take time to take its toll. Um, But you're right. It's starting to... uh, filter down into younger populations where, again, just like we used to have adult-onset diabetes, no, it's type 2 diabetes because children get it. Whereas we used to prescribe statins to adults, no, we prescribe them to children. Blood pressure medication, I mean, it's all trickling down, right, the wrong direction. So colorectal cancer seems to be no different. Now they're starting to see this in younger and younger populations, starting with young adults in their 20s even. And it starts, not only does the, the, you know, if you're exposing yourself to a carcinogen, the damage begins. Mm -hmm. But it's also a habit. It's a habit you're instilling in children, and and habits can be lifelong. And if they're starting this young, then they're probably going to continue to do it and only feed the potential risk for this disease. Registered dietitian Susan Levin from the Barnard Medical Center, my guest here on the exam room talking about the hashtag hazardous hospital or hazardous hot dogs campaign. Hot dogs, of course, being served in children's hospitals, a little counterintuitive. Uh, Susan, we were talking about our members and our organization working with the hospitals to try to eliminate hot dogs from the menu. But it's not just our group that's doing this. There are other entities out there that are trying to do the same. That's true. The um, Recently, la- last year, the American Medical Association said hospitals should not, not only should they be offering plant-based meals on their menus, that makes sense. These are associated with actual health benefits, um, such dietary patterns are. They said, no, do not serve processed meats on hospital menus. That should not be a, a an item in an institution such as a hospital. So mm-hmm. that's, that's progress. But there have been multiple research studies and even compilation reports from organizations like the World Health Organization, the World Cancer Research Fund. Um, in fact, the World Health Organization put processed meat products on what's called a group one carcinogen list. That is the same list that tobacco and asbestos are on. Um, it's not to say the risk is equivalent to tobacco, but the evidence for a causal association is as strong as tobacco. So we know that processed meats cause cancer in any amount the same way we know that tobacco does. So the fact that you have these organizations making such strong claims based on research should give people pause about what they're feeding their children and certainly what hospitals are giving children as well. You know, I remember distinctly, very vividly, the day that the WHO announced that. And they broke it on Twitter, you know, so that's that's kind of the modern age. I was still working as a reporter for CBS at the time, and I'm sitting in the newsroom and these tweets come out. And nine times out of ten, a little health story comes out and you're like, hmm. That's interesting. That's the reaction in the newsroom. It may or may not make the newscast. But when that comes across, you could have heard a pin drop in there. Mm-hmm. You know, people who typically didn't care about the health and wellness stories wasn't their beat. Yeah, whatever. Even they stood up were like, oh, my God, you know, this is huge. Right. And, of course, like, then the question became, are hot dogs as bad as cigarettes? And over time, the answer v- may, may very well just be yes, you know. <laughs> 
Well, certainly the evidence as, as, is as strong, which is what that classification means, is that we know processed meats cause cancer. That's really strong language. Right. And again, it's in any amount. So World Health Organization, uh, World Cancer Research Fund would suggest, that, A, they say there is no safe amount, but eat little if any was the latest quote from the World Cancer Research Fund's report that came out this year um, saying that the evidence is so strong that really we shouldn't be eating any processed meat at all. Well, processed meat um, to kids, especially if they're they're growing up and, and they're eating it, a hot dog, for, for instance, that would be what people would call a comfort food for some. And if a sure. kid is in the hospital and they're just having a rough go of it, they want that little bit of comfort, something that's going to bring a smile to their face. So if not a hot dog, what could we be serving to still put that smile on their face and help yeah. lift their spirits a little bit? Yeah. So a healthy food does not have to be um, unappetizing or uncomfortable. Uh, it can be comforting and and satisfying even to children. And I would say that some classic favorites in in for children in, in institutions, whether it's a hospital or school, or things like, you know, berry smoothies, um, bean chilies, warm chili with cornbread. Mm -hmm. uh, these are foods that can be remind you of home, be very comforting, um, and then and also heal the child. And I would say, you know, the prim primary purpose is to heal that child. It's also a, a learning opportunity for the child and the parent. Right. Like this is not only um, really nutritious, but it can taste good too. And I, we, we value the opportunity to work with hospitals to find that sweet spot, find those recipes that we know work with children, um, but also work for hospitals as well. And for a lot of hospitals, it's just the day and age that we live in. It comes down to the bottom line. Sure. But Again, if you've been listening to this program for any length of time, especially the show that I did with uh, your colleague Lee Crosby not mm -hmm. that long ago, you don't have to break the bank eating a plant-based diet, a healthy diet. And I assume that the same would go for a hospital. Absolutely. We have certainly – first of all, we know of hospitals that do this and, and make it financially feasible for them, if not even appealing for mm -hmm. them. But we've seen research studies showing that to eat – to switch to a plant-based diet from an omnivorous diet or let's say a plant-based menu from an omnivorous menu can actually save money. I mean, this used to be the poor person's diet, right? right. The, the poor person was the vegetarian. Beans and rice. Right? The king was the overweight person eating um, all the all the meat and refined mm -hmm. foods. Uh, so let's not forget where the roots of this and almost literally, right? Grains, vegetables, fruits, beans, not expensive and are the basis of the healthiest meals possible. And uh, beyond just pressuring the, the hospitals from our members and, and others, uh, correct me if I'm wrong as we kind of put a cap on this segment, or there are also billboards going up and some advertisements? Yeah, some really good billboards um, that notif notice, notified people, even at just the even just for staff at the hospitals and, and their bus depots that would say, uh, you know, the, the hot dogs are the number one choking hazard, but they're also going linked to colorectal cancer and other cancers. And by the way, processed meat is not just, it's linked to anything between your mouth and the toilet. Anything pretty much that the processed meat touches is in danger. That's how toxic these foods are. So wow. there is association with, you know, um, esophagus, stomach, pancreas, colon, rectum. You get the picture. But anyway, so we just want to educate 
the educators about that risk. So we do that with um, those those uh, ads in just mm-hmm. bus depots and bus shelters on hospital campuses. But we also have bigger billboards for the public to see as well so that they can see the hashtag and they can make um, do some action to the CEOs and other hospital staff. I've, I've seen some of those ads, and, and we'll put one up for you on PCRM.org slash podcast so you can see it, one of which was particularly moving to me. It was a, this little girl in the hospital in her gown. I believe there's an IV and a doctor in the background, and she's holding a hot dog, and she just looks miserable (laughs) miserable it's a miserable situation and we're only you know handing her the return ticket susan levin thank you so very much i appreciate you coming on the show if you want to get involved with this campaign head over to pcrm.org or just start tweeting using the hashtag hazardous hot dogs susan been a pleasure thank you Welcome back to the exam room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. The weight loss champion Chuck Carroll here with you on Twitter at Chuck Carroll WLC. The WLC standing for weight loss champion. Also the show at PCRM. My next guest is, I you know, I'm just going to say it. Looking at her Instagram is probably my most favorite thing in the entire world because it is such the juxtaposition that just brings the biggest smile to my face so with that we welcome to the show lead singer of arch enemy uh elisa white gloves hello elisa hello you are the lead singer of a death metal band and i think that you know for people that don't necessarily get an opportunity to listen to that type of music there is kind of that stigma that you guys are all super hardcore and you go up there and (laughs) and you rock and you know maybe you look a little bit intimidating to some people but then on your instagram that's so balanced with like pictures of you with puppies and i'm just like this is the greatest (laughs) thing ever yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I could be dishonest and just post angry pictures of me and really evil looking things all the time. And I'm not going to lie, I do love evil things and I do love, <laughs> you know, um, true expression of anger. I love swear words. I love all that heavy stuff too, but I love animals. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm really an animal lover and, um, you know, I, I find them fascinating. I find just all the different species of animals that exist in the world amazing i love learning about animals i love seeing different videos and pictures of animals on instagram that's like one of the main reasons i'm even on there so so yeah i mean i could be dishonest and hide that part of myself but i've never been like that and so far i feel like being my true self has worked out pretty well so you know people don't I mean, who who doesn't like puppies? I know, <laughs> right? I know. So when when you pick up a puppy in your hand, that that anger that you embrace does that kind of melt away, even just temporarily? You know, it's it's funny because I am so. I think most people would agree I'm a super like mellow person in real life, and it's just on stage that I, well, in real life, <laughs> off stage, <laughs> stage is real life too, but. Um, you know, when I get on stage, it's like I, I, I release all the, I wouldn't even call it anger. It's more like passion. Right. Um, it just sounds really angry. But to me, that anger is just like extreme energy. And so the rest of the time, I'm, I think I'm pretty mellow and, and calm. And I just like, you know, living a peaceful and drama free life and looking at pictures of puppies. 
so your parents raised you as a vegetarian, and that kind of exposed you to the whole animal welfare factor that goes with eating a plant-based diet and getting involved in the vegan movement. Um, as you were growing up vegetarian, were you also aware of the nutritional benefits that came with this, or was it strictly about animal compassion for you at that point? Um, yeah, you're, you're right. So I've been vegetarian since birth, and I went vegan around the age of, like, I think it was 13 years old or so. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, growing up, growing up, I wasn't aware that there was anything necessarily different about how I ate. I just knew, like, wow, look at all these, like, color, colorful fruits and vegetables and, like, these delicious, you know, nuts and seeds. And, uh, you know, I just really like that kind of eating. Um, and like sometimes eating tofu and like even at that point there wasn't all the crazy vegan options that we have today like if you wanted something if you wanted vegan cake you had to make it you know yeah um, but but yeah when we grew up uh, and I have two siblings who also grew up the same way um, I didn't realize that there was an ethical association with the way that I ate until I remember um, you know, I guess at some point I asked my mom, you know, like, what are they eating in their sandwich? Or like, what is that that they're eating? I even remember in school being taught the words, well, it was in French, but being taught the words for like ham and pork. And I remember, you know, and there'd be a little illustration next to it. And I remember thinking like, I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> I've never seen that. I, it doesn't look like food to me. So I don't know what that is. And I remember, you know, I must have been like five years old. And I asked my mom what it was, and she just told me. She's like, ham is another word that they use for a pig when you take the pig's body and you take parts of it and some people eat that. And, and you know, and she explained the same thing about beef versus cow. And, and I was just so confused as to why you would call it something else. You know, like that's the cow's body, you know? Right, right. And, and I remember just being horrified when I realized, like, wait, people are killing animals to eat their body so it's like they'll see an animal walking around and be like you don't need that body i want that body so i'm going to take away your life so i can eat that and i just thought that was so horrifying that it all made sense to me why we why we didn't eat it um and of course my mom said like if you do want to eat that you know you're free to do so but th these are the reasons that i don't and these are the reasons that i didn't want to force you to have to eat that from from when you were born and you couldn't make decisions on your own so if you do when you're older want to make decisions on your own you're more than welcome to but these are the reasons behind it and so that sort of sparked an interest because to me and i think probably to most kids animals are these amazing glorious magical fantasy creatures that you just can't believe exist like when you see a little baby look at a horse or a cat for the first time they're just mesmerized and i never lost that sort of awe and wonder towards animals i still have it i think I think they're beautiful. I think they're fascinating. And it's horrific to me that some people think they're just commodities and just products. And actually, some people still believe that they are not capable of, like, thoughts and feelings. So as I got older, around, like, age 8, 9, 10, I started thinking, like, well, it's pretty crazy that, you know, we have so much cheese and milk and eggs in the grocery stores like how do animals make all this like that's a lot and then of course as I you know got into my teenage years which is a you know formative time for many people 
and I started doing a little bit more research, which at this point, like the internet and Google weren't as readily available as they are now. Right. So in a way, it was more difficult to find information, but at, in another way, the information that you did find was more likely to be accurate um, because there wasn't this sort of overflow and flooding of like false information or just you know people's blogs being taken as peer-reviewed studies or whatever. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I did look up uh, information on farming. I wrote to a few different animal rights organizations to learn more about it. Um, looked into actually in Quebec where I grew up, dairy farming is like a big uh, resource. So I, I learned about that. And the more I learned about it, the more I realized that there was no possible way that animal products could be produced at this level without harming animals. And that's when I decided to go vegan. So uh, <laughs> very long story, but to answer your question, veganism was 100% ethical for me. And then um, as I started learning about nutrition, which I actually went on later to um, briefly study in university, I realized it was just a great, um, a great way to eat and to live in terms of personal health as well. And then, of course, I learned that it was also great for the environment. So um, it was just, it just seemed like a, a, a catch-all for so many problems that I was just really happy that I, in my heart, agreed with the basis of it to begin with, because um, it just, you know, I always felt like it was right. And the more I learn about it and the more new studies come out, it's, it's sort of confirming that fact. Sure. And, and, you know, at five years old, it just seems like animal welfare, that's such a, or it can be such a heavy topic. And here you are embracing it at five years old and you continue to study it um, well into your teenage years. Did you have conversations that you can recall with your friends when you were young about this? Like, were you teased as a kid for being, you know, weird and different because you weren't eating the beef? You weren't eating oh, yeah. um, all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's so it's so funny to me that of course any anyone any vegan has heard the, you know, air quotes joke <laughs> of how do you know someone's vegan? Well, they'll tell you. But then in my head I'm like, I've been vegan since the 90s and you're only finding out now. So clearly that's not true. Right. But, um but yeah, I mean, actually, it's it's not about vegans shoving our, our quote-unquote lifestyle down anyone's throat. It's really the other way. Like, I got teased for being vegan. I got questioned. I got bullied, not only by the other kids, but by teachers, you know? Teachers wow. would, you know, see my lunch and think, okay, well, I'm going to give you, you know, we need to get you something else to eat. And, and so it was just, um, I think it was really good that I knew why I was eating that way because... Um, otherwise, maybe I just wouldn't have wouldn't have realized what the difference was between processed food and animal products and and the sort of whole foods that I was being given to eat. Um, and I really do think that that shaped my tastes and my appetites and in in a very good way because I really enjoy eating healthy food and I've you know I've seen it with like my younger brother who's five years younger than me, um, him growing up with his friends and just the I mean of course genetic genetics do come into play but like him and his friends at age three four five you know about the same size and then some of them grew up to become at this point morbidly obese and but he's in great shape and he's like a competitive rock climber and you know it just I, I really do think that 
starting early at a young age with a with a healthy way of eating is is really really great <laughs> when it comes to raising a kid and, and forming a future healthy adult um just forming those habits early i think is really important but yeah i mean i can recall like even individual scenarios <laughs> um of kids teasing me um even my friends like thinking that they would like tempt me with their meat sandwich or whatever it was and like kind of waving it in my face and then me being so grossed out I had to leave the table or um you know I remember when I was in I think in grade three so I guess you're like eight years old there um some guy came and put like a piece of his like fish lunch in my see this is how much it traumatized yeah. I still remember <laughs> he put it in my lunch as we were eating lunch in the classroom and so then I couldn't eat my lunch anymore because I was so grossed out and so I went over and I pushed his desk over onto him and everyone applauded and you know like just the like these situations that you really don't think that it would happen but I totally totally um there's definitely situations where I got teased and bullied and and sometimes just overall doubted and questioned and it continues to happen to this day of course but um but yeah but you That's you stood that you stood your ground even from a young age. I would imagine that the kind of confidence that you gained from all of those confrontations has really carried with you now your entire life, well into adulthood. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. Um, you know, I I don't think I know everything. I don't think I'm the best at everything, but I do know that I'm always open and willing to learn and improve on my skills and improve on my knowledge and and the more I do that um, the more I'm able to sort of see everybody's point of view when it comes to things that are opinion based but also form opinions when it comes to things that are fact-based. Now, Alisa, I also want to ask you, um, because you mentioned that you did study the nutrition aspect later on, are you at a point now where you kind of scrutinize the nutrition labels and really make sure that what you're putting into your body is clean? Oh, yeah. But the thing is, I was actually always like that. Oh, okay. Uh, even even at a young age, my mom taught us, like, you read the ingredients. You know, if, if, if something has an ingredient label, like, Obviously, most things that I would buy wouldn't because it would just be like a stock of broccoli or, uh, you know, a watermelon or whatever. So there's no label on it. But if I do buy something that has a label, like, let's say, a can of uh, beans or something like that, you read the label and then you see, OK, well, let's make sure there's no animal products in it, first of all. So good. That's one reason to read it. But then secondly, well, this can of beans has... Um, added sodium or this one has a preservative in it whereas this one is just beans and water and so which one do you want to buy and of course we would always go for the more simple one with with just water in it um, and so I've always done that and I continue to do so now um, I remember the first time I went grocery shopping with friends of mine so like the first time I ever went not with my parents and I saw my friends just grabbing stuff off the shelf and throwing it in the basket and I was like aren't you going to read the, the label? <laughs> and to them, it was crazy to read the label. They never even thought about that. But to me, it looked insane to pick something up without really inspecting it and know that you're okay with eating it. So, um, so yeah, I think that's a healthy habit that everybody should, should actually start doing if they don't already do it. How do you deal with being on the road? Because you are with Arch Enemy. You guys are always, always, always out there, you know, just playing concerts here there and everywhere 
a lot yeah. of people that I talk to that do tour or, or athletes and they travel from city to city, one of the first stops that they make when they pull into town is to a grocery store. So what is mm-hmm. your trick for making sure that you're getting what it is that you need while you're on the road? So, yeah, I've been touring for, you know, over a decade now. And back at the beginning of my of when I started touring, it wasn't as easy to find vegan restaurants and vegan stores and health food shops as it is now. Mm-hmm. So what I used to do, um, because I used to tour in like a van pulling a trailer, so we would drive a van and, you know, there's no fridge, there's no electricity or anything like that. And so what I did was I had a big cooler and every day when we would get to the venue, I'd go behind the bar and fill it up with ice. And then I had Tupperwares in the cooler that I would keep, um, you know, like hummus, salad, uh, chickpeas, beans, um, soy milk, you know, anything that I felt like I was going to want to eat. And then throughout the day, I could, um, you know, take those ingredients and make it into something or, you know, and I would keep bread or something somewhere else and I could make sandwiches. And so um, that's a really cost effective way of doing it. And it's great because whereas the rest of the people in uh, in the band that I was in at that point would be panicking after the show, like, oh, no, what are we going to eat? And then they would pull into, <laughs> you know, like a 24-hour McDonald's and buy some, you know, gross food to... Well, yeah. food is a term I'd use loosely here, but, you know, they would, they would be panicking, like, oh, I'm hungry, let's eat something. I didn't even have that problem because my food was right there and I would just eat it when I wanted to. So that was what I did at the beginning, which is, I really, I mean, if anyone is traveling extensively, that's a really good way to do it. It doesn't involve any electricity or anything, so you're good to go. Um, Nowadays, there's two kinds of touring that I do, one of which is in a tour bus where we do have a refrigerator, so I can just stock that refrigerator. Or um, we sometimes have to do tours where we fly from city to city, so every day we go to the airport, get on a plane, fly somewhere, land, and then play the show. And so in that case, it's obviously a lot more difficult because I can't necessarily bring food across country lines uh, because of import control. I can't um, fly with liquids in my bag. Um, You know, so there's it makes it a lot more difficult. And in those cases, what I usually like to do um, is the almighty happy cow. (laughs) Yes. An app that a lot of people are familiar with, which. I have to say, I just completed a tour in Southeast Asia, so I'm talking Singapore, Taiwan, South Korea, five cities in China, um, we also did Australia there, uh, I don't know if I'm forgetting anything, but these are places that you might not necessarily think would be like super vegan friendly, but I found awesome vegan restaurants in every single city that I was in, and so I was really impressed with that, like just to see how the vegan community is growing worldwide. And as a last resort, if all else fails and I don't have time to go to a restaurant or they're closed or there isn't one nearby, um, I always ask in advance, if possible, just for the basics, some fruit, like a few pieces of fruit, whether it's, you know, uh, whatever's local, you know, I I love like tasting the local fruit. So if there's like dragon fruit, like when we were in Australia, maybe pineapple, mango, Um, If we're somewhere else and that's not possible, that's fine. Apples, blueberries, bananas, whatever. Just some fruit. I always keep a little bag of, um, like, unsalted, dry-roasted nuts with me. And I bring Vega protein with me. And so worst-case scenario, if I'm really, like, I have no time and nowhere to go, I can be satiated with that. And 
that's pretty delicious, actually. So I have no problem with that either. I want to ask you kind of a fun question because um, death metal, you being the lead vocalist, I would imagine that that can be quite taxing on your throat. But I remember before I was vegan, kind of getting phlegmy or mucusy just to be kind of gross about it in the back of my throat. I would imagine, is this something maybe you've thought of as well, that being on this plant-based diet actually would help you as a performer take care of your vocal cords? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because I actually don't have the basis of comparison that maybe some people who went vegan more recently have because I've just always been this way pretty much. Right. Um, so, you know, I was vegan before I was a singer, so I don't know... Um, really what a difference it makes um i know that a lot of people and i truly appreciate the compliment a lot of people do say that i have a lot of energy and a lot of stamina during my shows and they're impressed that we've never had to cancel a show due to me being sick or having a vocal problem and that's not to say i've never been sick or had a vocal problem I have. <laughs> we all do. With a, with a brutal schedule like we have and no sleep and exposed to so many different people every day, um, it's inevitable that, you know, it's inevitable to get sick. But it's never broken me to the point that I wasn't able to complete the show. Um, and that that's my whole career. I've never canceled a show due to being sick. So I don't know if um, I don't know if it has to do with veganism. I do feel like I lead a very healthy lifestyle. Like, I'm also straight edge. I don't smoke or drink or anything like that right. just because I don't like that stuff. Um, so I definitely think that helps, and I do think that, uh, you know, my band appreciates that <laughs> that I make sure that I'm, like, fit and healthy for our shows because that's really my my goal every day, and my goal in life is just to be able to put on, like, the best show possible. So um, I, I think... It might. I can't say conclusively that it does, um, but it doesn't hurt, that's for sure. Before I let you go here, you've been really generous with your time. Uh, talk to me about uh, being on tour. Uh, you, I'm sure that you have some dates coming up, and it wasn't too long ago that Arch Enemy also released an album. Yeah, that's right. So um, with my band, Arch Enemy, we tour extensively. Um, we're really, all of us are very hardworking people, so we basically devote our entire lives to um, making music, recording it, releasing it, and then performing it. And so we released an album called Will to Power uh, in, in September of last year, and then we've been touring it extensively ever since. I think I've only had a couple weeks off this year so far where I wasn't playing a show, um, which is great. Um, like I said earlier, we just completed a tour of Southeast Asia and Australia. Before that, we did an extensive tour of Europe. And then coming up next, we're going to be in Europe again for touring, but also a lot of these summer festivals that happen in Europe during uh, the next few months. After that, we'll be returning to the United States and doing uh, and doing a bunch of like almost like smaller cities there. So that'll be pretty interesting because we're going to places that maybe don't normally get the metal shows passing through mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's basically it i mean we have it's we have a lot going on and that's the way we like it so um i hope i hope everyone is enjoying how much uh, we're touring because we definitely are all right well elisa thank Great. you so very much for your time uh she's at elisa white gloves on instagram an eclectic mix of hardcore metal and puppies and it is the greatest thing you will see <laughs> all day long 
This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Weight Loss Champion Chuck Carroll here with you. The show on Twitter at PCRM and Instagram, as always, at Physicians Committee. Uh, And also, if you're listening to this and you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so uh, on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever it is that you get your audio from. Please give the, uh, the show a subscription. And let's not forget to also... As always, give it a five-star rating. Super, super important. Now, today's topic is all about hospitals, cleaning it up. We've already spoken with uh, registered dietitian Susan Levin about our hazardous hot dogs campaign, but now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about our hashtag fast food free campaign. And so to help me understand this a little bit better, to bring some more light to the issue, we're going to welcome to the show Leslie Rudloff. She's the director of legal affairs here at the Physicians Committee. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, this is a really interesting campaign to me, and I think that it's it's one that not a lot of people know about. And, and maybe even if you walk through the doors of the hospital and you see a fast food restaurant, you, you may not even think twice about what's going on there. But there, Leslie, correct me if I'm wrong, there are actually some big money contracts between these medical facilities, these hospitals, and these fast food chains, isn't there? There, there are. There are quite a few around the country. Um, there, are, we've we've done some digging with public records laws to find that some of the hospitals even um, make money off of the fast food restaurants that are located within their uh, facility. Now, how, how does that work uh, in the contract? Are they just then getting a percentage of the proceeds there, or is it based off of yeah. gross sales? It's based off of the ones that I've looked at. It's based off of gross sales. Um, like, for example, I looked at a contract between the Macon County, Macon Bibb County uh, Board of Health and McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's is located in their hospital. Um, called Their hospital is called Navicent Health. Mm-hmm. And the contract said that um, once McDonald's makes over $1.3 million, um, the hospital gets 6% of the gross sales that are in excess of that. Really? It's true. So then what is the hospital doing to incentivize people buying or, or eating at the McDonald's because if the hospital is going to make money, that six percent, you know, that's that's no small change. I would imagine then that they're going to be kind of pushing people that way. Right. Yeah. They. I mean, I don't know that they they have you know uh, billboards or, or not billboards, but signage in the hospital that mm-hmm. they have a McDonald's in there. So mm-hmm. maybe if you hadn't walked by the McDonald's, you might see a sign around the hospital. Um, but they definitely, and, and you know as well as I know, if, if there's a fast food uh, restaurant located in a building, a lot of times you smell it. <laughs> yeah. So no um, you're going to smell the French fries and burgers usually if you don't see the signage. Now, conversely, you talk about hitting that $1.3 million mark for the money for the hospital. But on the flip side, uh, in, in one contract, I think I, I saw somewhere that if they don't reach a certain amount of money, then McDonald's, in this case, could pull their lease and move out. Is is that accurate? If if they don't, um, if who doesn't, if the... Um, if McDonald's doesn't sell or, or oh, reach a, enough total sales, yes. they can break the lease, right? 
That is true. Uh huh. Yes. Um, yeah. What What is that figure? Is that that's got to be close to a million dollars, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I'm not sure what specific contract, but they're all a little different. But most of them do. You know, it, they want it's a money making um, business. That's for sure between mm-hmm. the hospital and the fast food restaurant. Uh, now, here's one that I thought was pretty interesting, and maybe this was a oh, wow moment for you when you saw this in the contract. I think uh, at the Georgia Regents Medical Center um, in Augusta, one of the things that I read in our Good Medicine magazine that we publish here at the Physicians Committee was something that got highlighted that really caught my attention. It's that in this particular case, Leslie, they will actually deliver McDonald's to the patient rooms. Is, isn't yes. that accurate? That is accurate. I would imagine. Bedside delivery, hospital bedside delivery of, of fast food. <laughs> and I guess that that then would go to the hospital is also getting a, a percentage of those sales, correct? T- typically, yes. Mm. That's unbelievable. Um I want to ask you, though, because here's something interesting. Obviously, these big corporations, these uh, fast food chains, these are uh, essentially privately held businesses, you know, publicly traded franchises and all of that, but they are not government funded per se. Some of these hospitals that have these fast food restaurants and are pushing this unhealthy food, they're at least partially government funded, aren't they? That is true because, and the reason I know is usually when an entity is, is, is government funded in either to a lar- usually to a large degree, that makes them subject to public records laws. So that's how I've been able to, to get the contracts from these hospitals and fast food uh, restaurants is the fact that they are partially or wholly government funded. Um, so I'm able to get those uh, leases to talk about it today. How difficult is it for you to dig up these contracts? It's it's not really that hard. You know, actually, we, we kind of uh, did a survey around the country and found the hospitals that had fast food um, restaurants in them. And then we just started doing um, public records requests. And uh, we, were, we were able to get, I believe, every one that we uh, requested. And... I mean, there's so many hospitals in this country. Did, did you guys just kind of select a, a, a sample size, or how did you go about targeting which hospitals y- you wanted to, to approach? I think we found it particularly egregious when there were ho- when there were fast food restaurants in children's hospitals, right. you know, where they have cancer wards and things like that. Um, and so I think that's where we started our focus. Um, we were able to uh, achieve um, the elimination of McDonald's or other fast food uh, restaurants in several children's hospitals around the country. Um, one of them being uh, what they call Norton's Children's Hospital. It used to be called Cosair. It's located in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. They closed their McDonald's as a, a result of our campaign. Um, Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta um, also closed their McDonald's in response to our campaign. Um, we named uh, several others in our media um, when we were, you know, focusing on Norton and Grady. And those hospitals that were just named in the in the media attention also closed their McDonald's. <laughs> wow! So it's definitely been effective. 
you know, I'm actually I'm looking at uh, an old write up about that Grady Hospital in Atlanta that you were referencing, and that McDonald's, per the terms of the lease at the time, they had to operate from 6 a.m. to 3 a.m., which means that it was available basically around the clock. If you were in there and you were visiting a sick relative or a friend in the hospital overnight, you could still go down there and get that food. Not exactly the wisest choice if uh, if you've got a midnight craving. Now, I, to, to insert a personal story, my mother um, had cancer, and she was actually treated at Vanderbilt university and um every time i rode up in the elevator to the cancer floor there was someone on the elevator with me with a bag of mcdonald's Mm. and i just thought this has to be the craziest thing i've ever heard of i then found out it was the busiest mcdonald's in the state of tennessee wow (laughs) and finally vanderbilt closed that mcdonald's in 2011 because of the public pressure wow Wow! Amazing. The wow, I (laughs) it it makes sense, but at the same time, uh, still I I don't know what other word to use than wow. Um, I know that's some serious. That's a lot of McDonald's. Um, That's right. Why is it? Do you think that I'm I'm looking at a graphic, and I think it's it's well it's from 2015, but it Mm -hmm. it kind of lists where these fast food restaurants are. Uh, geographically in what states and you can't help but notice that the majority of them are in the south is that by coincidence i think that you know i think people in the south tend to have the higher you know higher rates of diabetes higher rates of heart disease and and i feel like with the hospitals having the fast food restaurants in them it's almost like they're endorsing that poor diet Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's unfortunate it really is and i think that's why we've focused on that because you know well we've now had to focus on the the states that in the hospitals that still have those restaurants located within them um but i think you know if we could get fast food hot or fast food restaurants out of hospitals it, it sends a message to to the patients that that's not being endorsed by the medical community for sure now um where are these uh fast food restaurants still operating because i know that we mentioned that we had um Mm -hmm. been successful in in shutting a number of them down matter of fact before we get to Mm -hmm. where they're still operating let's kind of tout our success so we talked a little bit about grady where else were we successful or where else was that public pressure successful in shutting Mm -hmm. these places down we were also successful at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, Riley Children's Hospital in Indiana, um, and um, uh, Truman Medical Center in Kansas City, Missouri, um, Driscoll Children's Hospital in Corpus Christi, Texas, Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis, and the Cleveland Clinic located in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. That's, so if we didn't focus on that hospital, they closed because of the media pressure we put on the others. Well, that that means that, you know, outside of our membership base here, the, the community kind of realizes that, hey, here's something hinky, you know. Um, yeah. here, here's a stat for you that was – it's in our talking points. I'm not going to kid you. I've got, I've got copious amounts of notes here. But um, a study conducted at Harvard um, and presented then to the American Heart Association found that uh, people who eat – 
eat fried foods up to three times a week uh, have an 18% higher risk of developing heart disease. And so if you're in the hospital because you've had a heart attack or you're going to visit somebody in the hospital who has had a heart attack, why then in the world would you possibly go and eat a food that could very well give you a heart attack? That to me is just mind-blowing. And and Leslie, I, I don't think that you need to... Uh, rely on your medical degree here to to say that yeah there's there's just something wrong with that picture that's right it's it's like having a cigarette machine you know outside of a pulmonary clinic yeah exactly exactly um so let's let's end with this so we've done a lot of good here with this campaign but there are still ways to go. Um, Can you give me an idea of what hospitals um, are still operating fast food restaurants? There's, I've got an, I'm going to say there's probably about 25 or 30. I'm looking at the list here. They're broken down by what fast food places are located. Mm -hmm. Some have Chick-fil-A, some have McDonald's, some have Tim Hortons, and some have Wendy's. Okay. Um, so as far as McDonald's goes, it looks like there are a couple in Florida. There are um, three in Georgia. There's one in Maryland. There are two in Mississippi. There are two in North Carolina, one in Oklahoma, and three in uh, South Carolina. And that's just McDonald's, and there's a long list of places that have, uh, I'm sorry, that have Chick-fil-A and, or McDonald's. Um, it's kind of a long list. <laughs> yeah, I, I am uh, looking at this list right now. We're going to put this up on PCRM.org slash podcast. And maybe if people want to reach out to the hospitals directly and uh, put a little pressure on them and just kind of explain, you know, just lay the facts out there and say, hey, you know, you're serving food that's been associated with obesity and chronic disease, diabetes, cancer. Why in the world, if you're trying to combat those things, are you then serving the very foods that are the culprits call them email them put a little pressure on them yeah tweet them write a facebook post whatever you need to do absolutely that's why we have the uh hashtag fast food free campaign here at the physicians committee um parting parting thoughts is there anything else that you think that uh, the listeners need to know about this campaign or you know anything that we we haven't touched on the only thing we didn't touch on is just the fact that not only are we doing these, you know, media campaigns with billboards and signage around the hospitals, um, but we're also testifying at uh, uh, boards of health about it. For example, last year I testified at the Macon County um, Board of Health meeting about the fact that, you know, they that Macon, Georgia, in, the, in their county has some of the highest heart disease and cancer rates in the nation and yet and obesity rates too and yet they have a mcdonald's located squarely within their uh, navison health hospital so i think that that's another way that we're going about sort of trying to change minds on uh, getting uh, hospitals uh, to serve healthy healthy foods that don't include processed food or or meat do you feel like your testimony was was well received by the board I do, I do. They were they were very understanding of uh, the point I was trying to make. 
we still have a campaign against them, though. But I, I don't. Their lease doesn't end until 2019 with McDonald's, so we've got a little bit of time to convince them not to re-sign and choose maybe a healthier option. Has there been any pushback from any of these fast food restaurants, whether it be the McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Wendy's? Well, I I think the important thing is maybe not us, uh, or the important thing to remember is that we're encouraging healthy choices instead of sort of trying to demonize McDonald's. I, I don't, you know, I know that McDonald's, you know, um, you know, we don't want to get into a situation where we're demonizing a certain uh, restaurant, mm-hmm. but we want to just sort of encourage healthier choices for people that are obviously sick and and need as healthy as healthy a food as they can get instead of uh, fast food. Let food be thy medicine, as the old saying goes. Exactly. exactly. So. Well said. Well, thank you. This is a terrific show. You know, when I was a, a resident at GW Hospital, George Washington University Hospital in Washington, D.C., we were debating back in the 1980s, could we ban smoking? It sounds crazy today, doesn't it? Uh, obviously, you should not have smoking. But at the time, we allowed cigarettes in the hospital. We sold them in the gift shop. Doctors could smoke in the doctor's lounge. They could smoke in the hallways. Patients could smoke in bed. The only restriction was if they had oxygen flowing, they couldn't do it. Um, And I want to tell you something. I was one of them. Uh, I picked up Merit menthols in the gift shop and smoked them on the way to the doctor's lounge. And my head of surgery was smoking Marlboro's. We weren't stupid, but we we knew we had to quit sooner or later. We eventually did. Well, listen, we we won that battle. We threw out our cigarettes together and we made the hospital smoke-free. So we do have to take the next step which is to get the foods out that are causing disease. And that means favoring the plant-based healthy foods, get the animal products out, starting with the processed meats. Uh, But let's clean up our hospitals. It'll be good for the patients who are there. It'll speed their recovery. But more than any other thing, it'll get them on the path to to understanding what healthy foods really can be. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes. Please give the show a five-star rating so that other people will share your enthusiasm. And thanks for listening. 